Hey folks, Andy Patton here. We are The Zags are set to play San Francisco tonight at 8 p.m. We previewed the Dons on Wednesday's show, but today will be a look at my five things to watch in segment one before closing out the week with Andy Locke's grading listener-submitted hot takes. All right here on Locked On Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. It is growing fast, one of the fastest growing shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am thrilled that all of you have been a part of that. Sincerely, it means so much of to me to see all of you joining the YouTube channel. If you have not done it already, but you are a listener to the show, it's super simple. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. You can check out all of the shows in full length on the YouTube channel as well. Segment one, we're going to look at the five things that I'm going to be watching for closely in tonight's game against the San Francisco Dons. A full preview of USF is available on the first segment of Wednesday's show, so if you missed that one, go check that out. Get a good look at who the Dons are, what kind of coach Todd Golden is, who Jamari Bouye is, and why this team has been considered a very likely NCAA tournament team despite not having a long history of being in the NCAA tournament, at least not in the Gonzaga era. Uh, the first thing I have down for five things to watch is pretty simple. Can Gonzaga top 100 points for the fourth consecutive game? Or really, can Gonzaga top 110 points? Because that is what they have been doing throughout WCC play so far. Obviously, they blew the doors off Pepperdine. Not as surprising considering Pepperdine has taken a step back after losing Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards last year. But they also did it to BYU, a team that was considered a top 20 team nationally on defense, at least according to Ken Palm, and a top 50 team, according to basically every other metric that exists. They also did it to Santa Clara, who is not that good defensively, but is considered a good quality team, top 75 team in the country per Ken Palm when Gonzaga beat them by about 30. So now they got a chance to do it again. And once again, they're facing a team that is considered very good defensively. USF is 24th in the country per Ken Palm on defense. They are allowing 65.5 points per game. I'm not a mathematician, but that is a lot less than 100 points. Uh, Obviously, they have not played a team as good as Gonzaga. Few people have but they have played good quality teams. They've played Grand Canyon. They've played Loyola Chicago. They've played a bunch of teams in the Mountain West. They've played Arizona State. They've played BYU. Like, they've played a lot of good teams and are overall holding that group of teams to under 70 points per game. So this is not going to be an easy task. I think the biggest thing that's different between this game and BYU, who Gonzaga obviously did not struggle to score over 100 points against, is that USF has more size. Not only are their big men bigger than BYU's big guys, but they have more of them as well. So that affords them the opportunity to potentially commit more fouls against Drew Timmy and or Chet Holmgren, put them on the free throw line where they aren't quite as efficient as scores. Uh, Yasan Masalski is a very, very good shot blocker for USF. He's the best shot blocker in the WCC, not named Chet Holmgren. Uh, He's 
he's going to he's going to make an impact. You know, again, he's he's not as good as Drew Timmy or Chet Holmgren. There are very few big men in the country who are the ones who are our national player of the year candidates. So that's not a slight to him, but he's going to alter some shots. He's going to have an impact on the defensive end of the floor and even a small impact uh, to Drew Timmy's efficiency, to Chet Holmgren's efficiency, to Anton Watson's efficiently down efficiency down low is enough to make it not as certain that Gonzaga will get to 100. They got to really light it up from downtown. And obviously they have been doing that. So it is not like they cannot do that, but it is more of a necessity if they want to get to that 100 points. I'm pretty sure Mark Few and the staff are not concerned at all about scoring 100 points. They are concerned about winning a basketball game. That is all that matters to them. If they win 63 to 59, they will be happy. It will be a bit of a surprise and a heart attack inducing event for the fan base, but it will be, they will be happy if they secure a win. Number two, how will Gonzaga guard Jamari Bouye? Specifically, will they attempt to face guard him the way that they did against Alex Barcelo at BYU? For those of you who might have missed this watching the game, the way that Gonzaga guarded Barcelo for BYU was just had Rasir Bolton when he was in the game, and I think uh, Nolan Hickman did it a little bit. I think Hunter Salas might have done it a little bit, where they were just straight up face guarding him. They are not playing help defense. They are not switching. They are not doing anything else other than sitting as standing as close to Alex Barcelo as humanly possible without committing a foul and just following him around the court like a puppy dog. BYU is more susceptible to that kind of defense because Barcelo is such a huge part of what they do offensively. They don't have a ton of other like go-to weapons on the offensive side of the floor. Gonzaga was really trying to prevent him from getting open looks from three. He still had 19 points in that game, but obviously it did not impact the result in a significant way as Gonzaga won quite handily. I'm curious if Gonzaga will attempt to do a similar thing with Bouye, one of the best scorers in the conference, averaging about 18 points per game. He does it all. He's a good outside shooter, about 41% from there. He's good at getting to the rim. He's good at drawing a contact and getting to the free throw line. He does a little bit of everything offensively. But also, San Francisco has other weapons. They have arguably more help in other places than BYU does. They have Masalski, who's averaging 14 points per game and 8 rebounds as a big man. Now, face guarding Bouye is probably not going to impact how they defend Masalski, but it could impact how they defend Gabe Stefanini, Khalil Shabazz, both very, very good perimeter players, both very good outside shooters, although Shabazz has struggled this year. He's been historically a good outside shooter. He's very good at getting to the rim. If they face guard Bouye, those two players are more likely to get open looks, and that might not be what Gonzaga wants in this game, but it's still, I think there's an opportunity to go basically four on four, have Bolton just shut down Bouye as best as possible and just try to handle the rest of the team that way. And I'll be interested to see if that's a strategy they try to implement in this game or if they just kind of accept that Bouye is going to be really good, but they can still beat him regardless. Number three, of course, how does Gonzaga look beyond the arc? It's a fascinating topic that has been discussed just at length about this Gonzaga team all year. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they consistent? Are they inconsistent? What are they going to look like now? Uh, they've been on a complete tear recently. In WCC play, they're shooting 47% from three. I have been a naysayer about their three-point shooting, and I have been very happy to be wrong about that. I can say fairly confidently, confidently I don't think they are going to continue to shoot 47% because that is really high but I believe that they are probably a better three-point shooter shooting team than I thought that they were coming into conference play, which is, again, a pleasant surprise, not a bad thing at all. I think they're going to need it 
in this game. I mentioned it already. USF has size. I mean, not only Misalski, but they have other big men. Patrick Tape from Duke, a transfer from Duke. He plays a lot of minutes for them. They have a couple other European guys who are over 6'10 who come off the bench as well. Like, this is a team that has multiple big men. And they're not, you know, they're not elite players except Misalski, who's very good. But they have enough weapons to at least make Gonzaga have to do something other than just hand the ball to Drew Timmy as soon as they get across half court, which is pretty much all Gonzaga did in the second half against BYU and for large chunks of the game against Santa Clara as well. I think they'll still, you know, Drew Timmy's not going to have a bad game, I don't think, but they're still, they have, this is an opportunity for them to have to do other things. And it was like Texas Tech where they proved, hey, you're going to make us beat you from the outside, so we're just going to beat you from the outside. USF is very, very good at defending the three, though. They are holding teams on the season to a 28.8% mark from three. That is very bad. That is the 23rd lowest mark in the country. So USF is the 23rd best team at defending the three-point line. So it's kind of an unstoppable force meets an immovable object in that sense, at least according to the last couple of games in WCC play for Gonzaga. But again, as a team that was not a great three-point shooting team coming into conference— and is playing a team that is very good at preventing the three, there's a potential for this to not be a great three-point shooting game for the Zags. If I'm wrong, super happy about that. But if I'm not wrong, that means Gonzaga's going to have to really rely on the big men down low. And against a shot blocker like Masalski, you could see how there could this could get a little bit tricky for Gonzaga's offense. I think one of the big keys, and this is going right into number four for things I'm going to watch, we need a big game from Anton Watson. Aggressive Anton needs to be here in full force Thursday night. The last eight games, Watson is averaging 12.7 rebounds, shooting 65% from the field. Uh, He's going to be huge in this game on both ends of the floor. We need him to come in and immediately be that offensive force because we cannot let off the gas against USF. The Zags need to be aggressive constantly down in the paint. They need to make Misalski work really hard every single defensive possession because if he gets a break, he's going to be a weapon on both offense and defense. They need to tire him out. They need to get into that depth, challenge those other guys on USF's roster. And they can't do that if it's just Drew Timmy and down low. They need Chet Holmgren to be a to be a low post presence offensively, and they need Anton Watson to be the kind of player that we have seen him be over the last few games. I don't have any doubt that he will be. I don't think that this version of Anton is just a flash in the pan. I think this is who Anton Watson is now, which is incredible and excellent for this team. But he needs to have a good good game on offense. And of course, defensively, he's always so important if they want to run those half-court traps, if they want to do some of that stuff. And just as for a team that plays really good, is a good outside shooting team in USF, his perimeter defense is going to be crucial in helping prevent them from getting open looks from beyond the arc. And then the last one for this segment, who wins the blocked shots category? Uh, USF is currently averaging 5.3 blocks per game in conference. That is number one in the WCC through the first couple of weeks. Gonzaga is second at 5.0. Most of that, of course, coming from Chet Holmgren. I think USF's not going to get as many block shots as they usually do because they are facing 
a bigger team than they have faced all year long. But will Gonzaga also get as many blocks per game as usual? It's hard to say. Obviously, Masalski is the big shot blocker for USF. For Gonzaga, it's Chet Holmgren. USF is also getting about a block per game, a block per game, excuse me, from Bouye, which is pretty surprising for a six foot two, one hundred and eighty pound guard. Uh, obviously, Gonzaga relies really strongly on Chet there. They also get some block shots from Drew Timmy. They get some from Anton as well. But it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much it's going to impact the game necessarily. I don't think that whoever gets more blocks is going to win. I don't know that that's necessarily uh, the the big recipe for success in this game. But I'll be curious if there's a change in the rankings of who is leading the WCC in blocks per game at the end of this game. All right, segment one is done. The next segment, we're going to be grading listener-submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, NetSuite. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. Head to netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa for special end-of-the-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash lockedonncaa. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're switching over to Andy Locks, a segment that we didn't get to last week because of some scheduling stuff, but we're back. We're bringing it back for the last two segments of this show. For those who are unfamiliar, Andy Locks, it's like Goldilocks, too hot, too cold, or just right. You, dear listeners, submit your takes to me. Uh, you can submit them via email. You can submit them on Twitter at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags. I put them all in here and I grade them. Do I think it's too hot of a take? Do I think it's just right? Or do I think it's too cold? Generally, if I say just right, it doesn't necessarily mean I think it's going to happen. It means I think it's a good hot take. If I say too hot, I think it's very unlikely to happen. If I say too cold, it means that it's not that hot of a take. It's probably something that's going to happen. This first take comes from Theodore via Gmail. He says... Drew Timmy plays two more seasons at Gonzaga, overtakes Karnowski's win record, plays in three Final Fours, and brings home Gonzaga's first championship. So I, I probably should have asked for clarification here. This is this is Drew's junior year, so two more years after this would be his senior year and his super senior year. He can do that because he played during the COVID season, so he has an extra year of eligibility. If that is what this prediction is, this is pretty, pretty hot, probably way too hot, because I don't think Drew Tibby is going to come back for his super senior year. I think that is very, very unlikely. But if you're saying this year and next year as two more years, yeah, I think that's fairly possible. I've, I've mentioned it a handful of times on this show. I think there's, I think Drew Timmy's probably right around 50-50, maybe 60% leaving, 40% staying. It's really hard to know. He's obviously killing it 
in conference play right now, which is helping him, getting him more exposure, putting him back in the conversation for National Player of the Year. But at the end of the day, the NBA, the things that the, the NBA scouts want to see from Drew Timmy, he still hasn't showed. He has not showed. He, he's a better defensive player, but he's still not a great pick and roll defensive player. He's still not a great outside shooter. So I don't know that him continuing to dominate in the paint is helping his draft stock all that much because they already know he's very, very good at that. So I don't know. I think I think it's very possible Drew Timmy comes back for next year. Certainly in the next two years, it would be outstanding if Gonzaga made another Final Four, uh, made two Final Fours potentially, won the, won the first championship. I think this is a little too hot because I'm not confident in this happening. But I love it. <laughs> I think it would be awesome if Drew Timmy broke the win record, if Drew Timmy became like the the dude that everybody's like, how is that guy still in college? Because it's always fun when Gonzaga has those guys. Kevin Pangos was one of those guys. Josh Perkins was one of those guys where people were like, I can't believe this dude is still in college. Karnowski was one of those guys. Uh, and it would be kind of fun to see that be the, the role that Drew Timmy takes on in the next couple of years. This next take comes from John via Gmail. He says, Anton Watson averages 12 points per game in conference play and becomes the fifth player to average more than 10 points during conference games. He will be the fourth leading scorer during conference and will trail only Andrew Nempard in assists per game. So 12 points per game is definitely doable. He's averaging literally 11.9 over his last eight games, and that includes you know Alabama and Texas Tech. So I think averaging 12 in the conference is for sure doable. Uh, he's over that right now. Uh, fourth leading scorer, I'm not as confident in that. I think Timmy Strother, Chet are your three leading scorers. Uh, almost unquestionably after that, it's between Bolton, it's between Nemhard, it's between Watson, and frankly, I think we're going to see Nolan Hickman's points per game tick up quite a bit in conference play as he gets more minutes per game, as he gets more of an opportunity to showcase who he is. Uh, I think this is just right because I think it's it's possible. I think second in assists is, is very, very possible, borderline too cold almost in that case. I think he will be the second leading in assists on this team. But I, I think that this could all happen. So I'm going to say that it's just right because I don't, uh, you know, I don't know that it's for sure going to happen, but it's it's a good hot take. It's quality. Next up, Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, at least three players will average a double-double for the rest of the season. So this is too hot. Uh, and the main reason that this is too hot is minutes. That these guys are not going to play enough minutes per game during conference play to average a double-double. Nobody is averaging a double-double on the team right now. Nobody. Chet is the closest in points and rebounds, but again, he's barely over 10 points per game, and he's about 8.5 rebounds per game. Nobody's close to that in assists. Uh, Drew's only at about 6 rebounds per game. I don't think there are three players on this team who are capable of averaging a double-double for the rest of the season, even if everybody was playing 35 minutes per game. I just don't think you would see that happen. And certainly when there's going to be games where these guys are, you know, the starters aren't playing past the 12-minute mark in the second half because they're going to the the bench, they're going to the walk-ons because they're up by 35 points, I just don't think you're going to see uh, these guys play enough minutes to average double-doubles. Next up from our good friends, the slipper still fits on Twitter. I'm guessing this is Peter, but either way, uh, he says, Gonzaga is going to average 90 over 95 points per game for the rest of the season. Yeah, this sounds crazy, but I think this is just right. I think this is very possible to happen. Obviously, they have topped way over 95 points in their first three games in conference play. The difference is they have four games remaining against San Francisco, including tonight, and against St. Mary's. Those are the best defensive teams in the country, although BYU is right in that conversation. I think BYU is not as doesn't line up as well with Gonzaga because they don't have the post players to really stop them, as we saw last Thursday. 
But four games against USF and St. Mary's is going to drag it down a bit. Uh, St. Mary's is really not going to let them get up to that 85-90 mark because of how plotting and slow and methodical they are on offense and how good they are defensively. So I think those four games are really going to drag it down a little bit, but I would not be surprised to see them average right around 95 for the rest of the season. And I think it's, I don't think it's crazy to think they could be over that. Next one on a similar vein. This question comes from Keith at 8K Dalib on Twitter. He says, Zags will score in triple digits in more than half their remaining games this season. So I think this is just right as well, and I think this is, I almost labeled this too cold because I think it's pretty possible that they do that. And I know that seems crazy because 100 points is not easy to come across in a college basketball game, but Gonzaga has already done it in three of their three WCC games. Uh, so only having to do it in half of the rest of their games is definitely possible. Like I said in the last one, I think there's four games between USF and San Francisco, or excuse me, USF and St. Mary's. There's a good chance they don't top 100 in any of those four games, which means that they have to do it in most of the rest of their games in order to reach that 50% mark. So I don't know that it's likely, but I think that it is possible. And the last one for segment two comes from John via Gmail. He says, even with an improved WCC this year, Gonzaga will equal the 2019-2020 team and have a margin of victory of 18 points per game while only losing one game in conference. Yeah, so I think 18 seems light at this point because of what Gonzaga has done to BYU and Santa Clara, two of the top five teams that they are going to face this year. Again, they're going to face both of them again. They still got two against St. Mary's, two against San Francisco. So a lot of good games remaining on their schedule, but they have not looked like a team that is going to be within 18 points of very many teams in the WCC this year. So I think the average could be at least that. I think it's pretty possible the average is 20 or 22, something in that range as well. One game in conference is probably what I'm expecting. I think that's reasonable to think that they're only going to lose one game uh, between you know BYU's remaining game, San Francisco's two games, St. Mary's is two games. If it's not one, I think it's zero. I think there's a decent chance that the way they're playing right now that nobody beats them until they get into March, but I wouldn't be stunned if they were ended up dropping two. It would be surprising, certainly, if that happened because of the way they've been playing lately, but I think that the WCC is good enough that they're going to get some challenges uh, later in the off or later in the season. All right, two segments down, one more to go, still discussing listener submitted hot takes. Before we get there, though, Let's talk about Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you all a happy betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Even in 2022, Bet Online remains the number one spot for all of the best sports wagering action. In fact, with the new year comes a new updated desktop and mobile website. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKED ON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still going through Andy Locke's grading listeners submitted hot takes. This next one, the second one of the show from our friend Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says the WCC will add another team by 2025. So I think this is too cold, actually, because I think that they're working really hard to replace BYU as soon as they possibly can, knowing that BYU is, of course, leaving for the Big 12. Uh, they don't want to be nine teams for very long. They really 
they really don't want to do that. Gonzaga doesn't want them to do that. The threat of Gonzaga leaving, even though I don't think that Gonzaga should leave unless they get a really lucrative offer from the Big East or something like that. But the fact that Gonzaga has made it clear that they can leave and that they might leave is putting pressure on the WCC to do whatever they can to keep Gonzaga around and the money that they bring in for television deals. So I think that they're going to work really hard to find another team to find a good team. I've mentioned on the show a few times, I don't exactly know what that looks like. Grand Canyon's been tossed around a lot. Uh, They would be a fine addition. They would not be an elite addition. I don't know that there are elite additions out there that they are capable of finding necessarily, Uh, but I don't think that they're going to sit with just nine teams for very long. Next up, this is from John via Gmail. Anthony Black becomes a Zag for 2022. I sure as hell hope so. The Zags have not put together much of a 2022 class so far. Braden Huff, six foot nine big man, is all that they have in that class. They have they seem to have a lot riding on Black. He is the only top 25 recruit from that class who has yet to commit. He had some eligibility issues in high school this year that seemed to be not his fault. Fortunately, he has gotten them resolved. He is playing now. I know Oklahoma State's in the mix. I know Baylor's in the mix. I know Gonzaga's in the mix. It seems like Gonzaga's got a lot of their eggs in this basket right now for 2022. Adding him to that team would be huge. He's so talented. He's such. He's a big combo guard who can do a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. Former wide receiver. Really, really talented young man. And getting him onto this roster for next year would ease a lot of the concerns about the amount of players that Gonzaga is going to lose from this roster next year. That would be a huge, huge addition. I'm going to say this is just right because I think that it's possible, but he's still got a couple other teams in the mix. Next question comes from Brandon at MacTrain on Twitter. In Tommy's first year at the helm, he will lead Arizona to an Elite Eight matchup versus the Zags in the West Bracket. The Zags will win what many will call the ultimate mirror match. Brandon, you are not alone in this very specific prediction. Theodore via Gmail had one as well. He says, Gonzaga loses to BYU in Provo, causing them to lose the West one seed to Arizona. Then in an epic Elite Eight showdown, Mark Few narrowly defeats his former assistant, Tommy Lloyd, bringing Gonzaga back to the Final Four yet again. So... <laughs> Both of these are very, very similar. Obviously, Theodore's has the caveat that the Zags are a two seed, which would be surprising, I think. Uh, not impossible. Uh, I think if Gonzaga only loses one more game to, Provo, to BYU in Provo, unless BYU really tanks, which I don't think is likely, that loss isn't going to look terrible. So I don't know that Gonzaga will drop all the way to the one line. I think there's a pretty good possibility that Gonzaga and Arizona are both one seeds, uh, which is unfortunate for the people who want to see the rematch. I'm not confident that I want to see the rematch. It's going to make my stomach churn for an entire 40 minutes. It's going to be very, very stressful for that game. I get why the national media wants that game, certainly. Um, I think that the committee is going to try their best to put Gonzaga as the one and the two in the West. It makes to put Gonzaga and Arizona as the one and the two in the West. It makes a lot of sense, obviously, geographically. It makes a lot of sense uh, if one of those teams is a two seed. But if they both play well enough to be a one seed, then they're kind of going to be shit out of luck. They're not going to be able to do anything about it. But wouldn't surprise me if these two teams do meet in the Elite Eight. Uh, I would love, obviously, for that matchup to happen. I think the Zags are probably a better team, although Arizona is very talented. They are very deep. They have some really elite players down in the paint, which could give Gonzaga some some trouble. And Christian Coloco, Ben Mathurin, all those guys. But I think it would be a really, really fun matchup. And even though it would be stressful for me and probably a lot of you out there as well, uh, I would love to see that game happen in the Elite Eight. 
And then last but not least from Dad Risk on Twitter, he says, Gonzaga will be a one seed dot 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 in the East, which kind of leads into what I was saying previously about the opportunity for Gonzaga to get the West in to get the number one seed uh, over Gonzaga, I guess, over Gonzaga. They would both be one seeds. I I think if Gonzaga and Arizona are both one seeds, that Gonzaga is going to get the West region. Uh, I don't have a firm idea on why I feel that way, other than Gonzaga has just had more pedigree, has had more number one seeds recently, seems more likely to get the benefit of the doubt of getting to stay and play on the West Coast. But again, I I don't know exactly how the committee makes those decisions. Uh, certainly if Gonzaga, you know, if they lose to Provo or to BYU in Provo, or if they lose another game and they're like the fourth one seed and Arizona's the second or third one seed, I could see Arizona getting the West and Gonzaga having to go East to play their first couple of games. But I, again, I don't know exactly. It's too early to tell. I'm going to say this is just right as well because I think it's a very possible outcome that Gonzaga and Arizona are both one seeds and that one of these two teams has to be a one seed somewhere other than the West region. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Happy Zags Day for the game tonight. I'll, of course, be on Twitter chatting with you all during the game, so follow me there at ScoreZagScore. We will have a post-game reaction show right after the game. I'll get it up right around midnight or a little bit later than that for Friday. We'll talk about the game, recap the five things to watch. Then, of course, we'll have a great weekend. Come back for Mailbag Monday on Monday, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you again to those of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!